You're listening to New City's Sermon Podcast. We hope you're empowered and challenged as we root deep in God's Word in order that we might grow in the good news of King Jesus and live as faithful citizens of His kingdom right here in our city. Let's get into the scriptures now. We have a guest speaker, Pastor Barry Henning from the New City Church up in St. Louis. Our church is part of several different networks, and one of the networks that we're part of is the New City Network. It's a network of churches uh, committed to reconciliation in the gospel, to see people from different tribes and tongues come together as one, and a commitment to justice uh, for the poor. Pastor Barry started New City Fellowship in St. Louis in 1992, um, and the church, how many years does that mean the church is? My math is bad about 27 years ago. And uh, what started as just a small group of people is now uh, a church uh, that administers in the urban area of St. Louis and has ministries like after-school tutoring and free legal counseling and, um, and job training for youth. Just an amazing, uh, amazing church up there. And that's actually where we came from. Virginia and I were part of that church and I pastored at that church for several years. And so it's exciting uh, to have Barry. Actually, over the next two weeks, uh, Pastor Barry is going to be speaking this week, and then next week, a guy named Pastor Randy, who's also one of the leaders of the network. They're in town for a retreat, and so I just said, I'm going to double book them. I'm going to get Barry on Sunday and then Randy next week. And so uh, Pastor Barry and his wife, Ann, have lived in urban St. Louis for a long time and raised kids there and, been, and uh, led the church there. Um, I, I love Pastor Barry because he's a man of incredible hopefulness in God and his commitment to us and the unstoppability, if that's the word, the unstoppability of his kingdom purposes. And so today um, I wanted to have him speak, and he's actually in the middle of writing a book called The Look of the Kingdom. And um, we're reading that as a leadership team here to help train us and hone in on what God is doing here in our city. And so I asked him to come and speak on some of the themes from that book. So let's welcome Pastor Barry. Come on up. I'm going to pray for him, and then we're going to hear from God's word. Lord Jesus, be with us as we hear your word this morning. We pray that you would deeply encourage us in your commitment to your kingdom, to your church, to your son Jesus. We thank you that he is victorious and he is king. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you, John. It is so good to be with you all here this morning. Uh, I do want to bring you greetings, uh, as I often get the chance to do. The Lord has led us to many places around the world uh, with brothers and sisters from St. Louis who are immigrants and refugees, and we have simply followed them back home to their home countries and connected with churches there. And wherever I go, I tend to bring, bring greetings from these other churches so you know that God is at work throughout all the world and people just like yourself coming to faith in Christ, understanding God's love, seeing his kingdom and embracing it. So your brothers and sisters in Lahore, Pakistan send you your, their greetings and your brothers and sisters in Mumbai, India and your brothers and sisters in Kinshasa, Congo and in Ouagadougou, which is in Burkina Faso and your brothers and sisters from Nairobi, Kenya, and from Harare, Zimbabwe, and from, oh my gosh, France and England, and places in Colombia and Peru and Mexico, and many, many other places where 
the Lord has allowed us to connect with his church in a very broad way and just see this remarkable, really what John said, unstoppable movement of God's kingdom. And some of this is you need to know in a very good way that you are a part of millions upon millions upon millions upon millions upon millions who have all found the forgiveness and the love of God in Jesus Christ. And you're their brothers and sisters. And we are going to be spending eternity together. And I'm sure I'm going to see you. So it's nice to meet you now and have some contact with you. And we praise the Lord for you. So I'd like to read to you from Luke chapter 12 this morning, and I'm not sure which version is going to come up on the screen here. Okay, CSB. So I'll just, instead of reading from mine, I'll read from yours to make sure we're reading the same thing. But the context of this is Jesus was doing the same kind of thing we're doing here this morning. He was going around to sometimes cities, but a lot of times villages, and he was gathering large groups of people and sometimes very small groups of people. And he just spent three years kind of going around to these different places and teaching them all the good news of the kingdom of God and the good news of the forgiveness of sins in his name. And he was giving them instructions about what the kingdom of God was going to look like and the kind of freedom it gives to us as God's people. So I'm going to read this this morning, as this is part of his, what's called sometimes the Sermon on the Mount. This is one written in the book of Luke. And these are some of the words of encouragement that he gives to us, and we'll ask God to bless that to us. So Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or about the body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than the birds? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If then you're not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass, which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, you of little faith? Don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink, and don't be anxious. For the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old, an inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be ready for service and have your lamps lit. You're to be like people waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can open the door for him at once. 
Blessed will be those servants the master finds alert when he comes. Truly I tell you, he'll get ready, have them recline at the table, then come and serve them. If he comes in the middle of the night or even near dawn and finds them alert, blessed are those servants. But know this, if the homeowner had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. All right, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are so grateful that you have called us to be your sons and daughters. Lord, that you have set your love upon us. It is a staggering and amazing and glorious thing, almost too good to be true sometimes, too hard to believe, and yet you have adopted us into your family. You have loved us and blessed us. God, you're going to lead us, and Lord, you're going to build your kingdom from now until the day you return, and we are part of that. We pray for your Holy Spirit to be upon us today, Lord. Give us encouragement from your word. Teach us and bless us together as your people. King Jesus, Lord Jesus, we ask for this in your name. Amen. All right, so one of the things that I'm always so blessed by in being with God's people in many, many places and being with you here this morning is that I know who you are. Now, I know I haven't had a conversation with most of you. Some of you I have. Some I know better than others. Um, but just if you're here and your faith is in Christ, I know the most core, real truth about you, just like you know it about me, that I am forgiven, that I am loved by Jesus Christ, and you are forgiven, and you are loved by Christ. And we are knit together as the family of God and the people of God. And that core reality, never mind what the tone of our skin is, never mind what kind of economic background we have, never even mind what's in our past. Because if we have faith in Jesus Christ, we all have had that experience of knowing that depth, amazing grace of the love of God in him, and he has set us free as his people. I love the way David, back in Psalm 32, describes the issue of the forgiveness of our sin. And just to, just again, I know you know this probably, you probably heard it a thousand times over, but it is something for us to constantly remember and rejoice in as God's people. This is Psalm 32. It's also, by the way, a psalm that David, or that Paul quotes in the book of Romans to talk about our forgiveness. And here's what, here's what David said. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. And that word forgiven is the word released. And your sins have been released from you. Because your sins want to cling to you. But what God has done through the atonement of Jesus Christ and his shedding his blood on our behalf is he has taken those sins and yanked them away from us. And he has released them from us and he's released us from them. And so your identity is no longer in any way caught up in the sin and the brokenness and the mess that has been a part of your life. And it's not even just about the past, even it's about what's going on currently right now. If you are struggling with sin, and who among us doesn't as God's people, we still struggle with it. The reality is, it's no longer my identity, it's not your identity. It's there, it's real, it's a part of us, but it doesn't define us. God says you're released from it. Because Christ paid the price for that release. And then he says, 
Blessed are those whose sins are covered. And that's actually, covered is the right word translated out of the Hebrew. It's covered over in the sense that there's a covering over your sin in this sense that God doesn't look at you and see your sin. He's covered it with the blood of Christ. Doesn't mean that he doesn't know you're a sinner. Doesn't mean he doesn't know that you still struggle in ways, and I do too. But what he's saying is, I love you so much, and the work of Christ is so powerful over your life. You've been released from the identity with that sin, and it's also covering, my blood is covering you. Your sins are covered in a way that when I look at you, I look right past those sins, and I look at you. And I love you, and you are my child. And this is how much I love you that I sent my son for you. And then the third thing he says is, blessed is the one who sin the Lord does not count against them. And we have a great, we have theological terms that we use as pastors and theologians to describe these things. And one of these is the doctrine of imputation, that God does not impute our sins to us. He doesn't count them against us. Now, if you have a credit card, or if you have a bank mortgage, or if you have a car loan, or if you have a financial debt of any kind to anybody, then there is a certain amount of debt that has been imputed to you. It's counted against you. And every month, the bank, or the credit card company, or your landlord, or whoever it is, is looking for you to pay your debt every single month. It's counted against you, imputed to you. Here's what God is saying. Your sins are never going to be counted against you. They're never going to be imputed to you. You're no longer going to be responsible for them in the sense that you're going to pay for them. It doesn't mean God's not going to love us and discipline and train us and teach us as his people. He's going to do those things. He wants to continually set us free from sin. He doesn't want, us to, doesn't want sin to bind us and keep us down under. He wants to set us free. But what we need to know is as we go along, God's not going to say, well, you know, you've been doing okay in your life, but you have messed up a bunch more times, and I'm going to just, that I'm going to hold against you. God is never going to hold it against you. Man, I'm, I'm, hallelujah. The older I get, the more grateful I am actually for these truths because I got a long life of stuff that God could hold against me. And he doesn't. He doesn't. I'm not going to treat you as your sins deserve, the scripture tells us. I'm going to treat you with love and commitment and compassion and kindness all the days of your life. That's who you are. That's who I am. And so when we look at one another, if God's treating you that way, how should I treat you? Well, that way, because that's how God is treating me, and it's how he's treating you. And, you know, as we work together and become this family of God in the church, we each bring parts of our mess to the table. We bring our own brokenness in ways and our own sin in ways. Sometimes we're insecure and fearful. Sometimes we're boastful and proud. A lot of those things go hand in hand. Sometimes we have struggles with how we, whether we trust other people, how easy it is for us to forgive other people. We all bring different struggles. Sometimes we're a little greedy, you know, sometimes we're a lot greedy, 
Uh, we don't share what we have with one another. Sometimes those things are there. But you know what? Over all of that, God looks and says, I see it all, I know it all, and I'm telling you, if you have your faith in Jesus Christ, all that sin is forgiven. And I'm in the process of healing you from this. And that's our hope together. And so it's a great joy to be together with you because I know that's who you are. Now here's the other thing that Jesus taught and preached and we teach and preach as well is that God gives us all of this, but he gives it to all of us with a great good purpose. And the great good purpose is that he actually wants to bring his love and his justice and his righteousness to expression now through the church into this world. Our God loves justice. He loves righteousness. He loves to make sure that the poor are cared for. He loves to make sure that the oppressed are set free. He loves to make sure that the hungry are fed. He loves to make sure that the naked are clothed. He loves to make sure that those who are in bondage to every single form of sin are set free from that. God loves that. He's committed to it. That's what we rejoice in when we rejoice that God is holy. Because what we mean by that is that not that God is aloof off there somewhere, but that there is nothing evil about God. There's nothing capricious about God. He's not double-minded at all. There's never a hint of anything related to evil in the person of God. And on the other hand, what is there is an active commitment and active in his very being of being the God of righteousness and goodness and love and kindness and compassion. And the great good news, the thing I know about you and you can know about me, and I know this about you, even if you don't know it about yourself. I know it about you because this is what God himself declares over us, is that God is committed to bringing that life of righteousness to expression. This, this is your great purpose in life. This is your great calling. Your great calling in life is not your job. It's not that jobs are important. They are important. God's created us to be creative human beings. He's created us to, in love and in goodness, subdue the earth. He's created us to fill in his creativity. You remember when he created Adam and Eve, if you're familiar with his story, you can go back and read it if you're not in Genesis 1 and 2. When God created the world, he didn't finish it. He actually only finished a small part called the Garden of Eden. And then he said to Adam and Eve, who were his people created in his image, he said to them, I want you to go out from this garden and I want you to finish my creative work in the rest of this world. Subdue the earth, bring my glory to expression in it. And ever since then, however long ago it was that Adam was created, part of our call as human beings has been to creatively go into the world and subdue it and shape it in a way not to abuse it, but to bring God's goodness to expression in it. So work is important, amen. But that is not your highest calling. Family is important. Your spouse is important. Your children are important. They're critical to part of who you are, but even your family is not your highest calling. 
your highest calling is to be an agent in every one of those areas and in this community of the righteousness and the goodness of God. That's why Paul says to express, he says, we're not ashamed of the gospel because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, it comes through faith in Christ, but also comes to expression in us as his people. So here's how God describes all the way back in Isaiah what he's doing in us. And this is Isaiah chapter 58, and he's describing what God's work looks like among us. And he says, this is the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. And he says, when you do these things, here's what he says is going to happen, and this ties right into what I read to you in Luke 6, or I'm sorry, Luke 12, then your light will break forth like the dawn, your healing will quickly appear, your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer, you will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. How would you like to know for absolute certain that if you call upon the Lord, he's going to show up and deliver you? Would you like to know that for sure? Would you like to know that on a practical level about everything about your life? That if I call out to the Lord, I can be certain that God is going to break forth in light and healing. And it doesn't matter the sin, it doesn't matter the brokenness, it doesn't matter the mess, it doesn't matter how complex it is, it doesn't matter how dark it looks. Here is the promise of God. If I call out to him, he's going to show up and he is going to bring light and healing. How can I know that as a son and daughter of God? And part of his answer is, if you're busy seeking the kingdom and his righteousness, this is the confidence that you can have. So Jesus actually picks this theme up in the Sermon on the Mount. He says to his people who are following him and wanting to know about the kingdom of God, he says, look, here's some things I want to tell you about the freedom that you have if you will embrace my kingdom. And one of the things is you can stop spending time and energy and anxiety and worry and fear about your needs being met. Jesus says, and he, he says it five different ways and five different times, here is freedom for you. Stop worrying. Seek the kingdom. And God, my Father himself, is going to make sure that every single need you have is going to be met. Amen. Here you are sitting here this morning. Did all of you have something to eat this morning? Anybody who didn't, let me know. And we will make sure you have some food. I don't see anybody naked out here this morning. Well, that's a good thing. That's right. Uh, for a lot of reasons. But you're clothed. <laughs> All right? All right, anybody sleeping on the streets? If you're sleeping on the streets, let us know. Let John know. 
let this church know, anybody sleeping on the streets or did everybody have a nice place to sleep last night? Now, of course, the nice thing about this community is even if you sleep outside, it's okay because it's kind of warm. If you were sleeping outside in St. Louis this morning, you, would, you probably wouldn't make it. You have a place to sleep. You have shelter. You have food. You have clothing. God, you know what? God is taking care of you. He's keeping up his end of the promise. He's doing this for you. And he's doing it despite sometimes the messes you've made and the bad choices you've made. He has loved you and forgiven you and is in the process of healing you. And here you are, God fulfilling his promise. I want to tell you, it's one thing to preach that here. Others around here, John included, Gordon Woolard, others I'm sure in the congregation, can tell you in many other places in the world, it's a pretty big deal to stand up and ask that question, have you had food to eat this morning? Because I have been in many, many places in the world, in many, many, most of the places we work in the world, we work in slum and poor communities around the world. That's where we work. In many of the places in sub-Saharan Africa that we work in the capital city of Kinshasa, Congo, there's not enough food for everybody. It's a, it's a city of about 12 to 14 million. The government there is oppressive uh, to a level that is just incredibly destructive to the country as a whole and to the people. They've shut down almost every commercial industry through corruption and the money, the money being grabbed by the government, including agriculture. And so it's just small farmers bringing in food. There's no commercial farming going on. Well, how do you feed 12 to 14 million when there's no commercial farming? And the answer is, is you don't. There's not enough food to go around. And so when we travel there and I meet with the churches, sometimes just in small open-air hut kind of settings, and I ask them, have you had food to eat this morning? Uh, lots of times there's people who say no. They haven't. And so what is the word of God to them? It's the same thing that God sees you and he will meet your need. And what you discover with those folks is that day by day by day by day, one day at a time, God keeps showing up and he keeps providing for them and taking care of their needs. Now, here's one of the things the Lord never promised in this, and we have to put ourselves in check all the time, that God says he's going to meet our need, and he doesn't say he's going to give us everything we would want. I don't know about you, but I, I have this propensity to always want something more than I have. When I see something, my wife and I, this is our first time to go into the Everglades. So we did this little airboat ride in the Everglades, and that was cool. We got to see the animals and sort of all that. You know, the alley was like, alligators, yeah, this is cool, okay. And then, no, okay. So then we went to the uh, National Park, the Everglades National Park, and, you know, we kind of walked into all the sites, and we were just like, yeah, this is cool. And then there were these little, like, tour boat rides that you could take that were even bigger and better. And you know what I wanted? I wanted to go on one of those. And then there were these airplane rides, and I would have liked to go on one of those, too. And then there's these boats that go out into the ocean and kind of take you around. I thought, I would like to go on that, too. I mean, <laughs> if, if the truth be known, that want, want, what I want, it seems to be never-ending. There's always something more that I want. And part of what God wants to teach us is a contentment with him providing for our needs. And here's the thing, 
in a way where we begin to focus on sharing what we have with others at their point of need. So when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you, seek his righteousness, back here in Isaiah, as Isaiah was describing what the people of God are meant to look like, to share your food with the hungry, to clothe the one who's naked, to make sure the poor wanderer has shelter, to set the oppressed free. These are the things of seeking God's righteousness that the Lord is going to bless us in as his people. And again, what Jesus says is if you will pursue these things, you don't have to worry about how your own needs are going to be met. Now that's about as completely opposite, upside down from our culture as you could get. Our culture is obsessed with the accumulation of things. More things, more things, more things, more things. Here's one of the strange things that I find is that the most anxiety-ridden people I've ever met in the world are Americans. Not like white Americans, but Americans. Black, white, everything in between. Americans who live in a land of unbelievable prosperity but seem to be the most anxious, fearful people about what they're missing out on or what more could be coming to them. Jesus says, if you seek first my kingdom and you share your resources with one another and you give to the one who's in need and you bring my justice and righteousness to expression as my people, I'm going to be with you and bless you and you don't have to worry about these things. Now you may think and say to yourself, um, you know, I, Pastor, that's great. I just don't happen to have either the time or the resources to share. I've, I've got very little. I'm just barely making it myself. I'm kind of living on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. Well, okay. First of all, I'll tell you from my own life background, right now I consider myself wealthy. Now, the people in St. Louis who live around me would laugh, and they would say, you're not wealthy, okay? But I would say, oh, yeah, well, I'm not wealthy in comparison to you. But I will tell you, I'm wealthy in comparison to most of the rest of the people in the world. I've got resources to share. That means I have wealth. Now, how much resource do I have to have to share in order to have some sense of wealth? Well, when John the Baptist was preaching about the coming of the kingdom of God and the people came to hear, well, look, what does salvation mean? What's it going to look like? Here's what John said. Do you have two shirts? Give one to the person who has none. Do you have food to eat today? If you have any left over, share it with the person who's hungry. If you have more than you need to live today, you have a measure of wealth. And what God is saying to you is this is the radical, crazy thing. I want to take away the anxiety and the fear and the worry for you to look and say, how am I going to accumulate more? And when am I going to get enough that I'm no longer worried about sort of, you know, how to take care of myself? God is saying, forget that whole paradigm and pattern. Here's the freedom you now have as my people. Enter into making this righteousness and love known. And I will take care of tomorrow. Do you know that you could not buy an insurance plan that could guarantee you that? You couldn't. 
And yet that's exactly what God is saying. And it's not only, it's not only that the fear is removed, it's also the freedom and the joy of entering into the kingdom of God. I get to be a vessel of God's righteousness and goodness in this world. I get to share. If all I have is two shirts and I have one to share with somebody else, you know what? I get the blessing of being involved in making the goodness and love of God known in this world. That's who you are as the people of God. And then just a last couple of quick things here. You're free not to worry. You're free to know the Lord is going to bless you but you're also free to know the kingdom is yours. Jesus says, fear not, little flock. We read that. Fear not, little flock, because the Father is delighted to give you the kingdom. You, I don't, how many of you, don't, you don't, don't raise your hands. You don't have to, to, to do that, but how many of you don't have a retirement account? How many of you don't have any money saved up for the future? How many of you don't have some inheritance to leave family or friends or loved ones, children, whatever? How many of you don't have that? Can I tell you, <laughs> you have the biggest, baddest, best retirement account that's ever existed in the history of the world. And that is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek because you will inherit the earth. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, do you know what your inheritance is? Your inheritance is this entire earth and this entire universe. When we go to be with the Lord, and I'm sure John has told you this and others have too, that we're not going off to this place called heaven somewhere that's far off removed and not, you know, just kind of sit on clouds and, you know, string harps and that kind of thing. God is going to renew this entire creation. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, a brand new renewed earth. Imagine the beauty of this earth minus hurricanes, minus, minus all of the, minus mosquitoes. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Just imagine that. And you know who's going to inherit that earth? Do you know whose inheritance that is? That is yours. That's yours. What was the name of the lady who just passed, went home to be with the Lord? Carol. Carol. That's hers. And she's already getting a foretaste of it right now. She already sees it. I know we're grieving for her down here, but I can tell you, she's up there just enjoying herself unbelievably and hopefully thinking about you all down here and saying, okay, Lord, keep an eye on that bunch of people down there because they sure need you. But that's your inheritance. If life, if all there is is 70 or 80 years and life is over and the only inheritance you've got is what you can piece together up until you're 65 or 70 or 75 or 80, can I tell you something? That is a sad thing to have as the total inheritance of your life. You don't have that. You have something greater. You have the kingdom of God, and it's the kingdom that is going to encompass this entire creation, and it all belongs to you. It all belongs to you. It's yours. Now, right now, though I will tell you, right now God has a job for you. And the job pretty much doesn't involve 
sort of self-fulfilled wealth. That's not his job for you. I know, you know, anybody here who's not from the United States? Anybody here? Okay, one person back there. Okay. Any, okay, all right. Most other people in the world, even if you're not from the, if you're here but you've got family members in other countries, look, the vast majority of the world is poor. You understand that the vast majority of Christians in the world are poor. We live in a weird bubble in this country and in Western culture. We have wealth coming out the wazoo. I mean, we don't even know what to do with it, so we spend money on just unbelievable, crazy things. I mean, I got to go on this boat uh, tomorrow, and we got to, it's dangerous because we got to go down where the Pirates of the Caribbean are, and I mean, it's going to be kind of a, you know, <laughs> we're going to be on this cruise going, and I'm just, after being in Africa and being in Asia and being in Latin America with my poor brothers and sisters, and I'm like on this cruise, it's just like, okay, this is nuts, the amount of wealth there is. Can I tell you that most of God's people in this world are poor? And that's not because God doesn't love them. Sometimes they're poor because of oppression, and I'm not talking about poverty in terms of destitute, where you're going hungry. The Lord abhors that. But what we would call lower middle class, what we would call the working poor, that's the vast majority of people in this world. Because God's agenda isn't fundamentally to make us all wealthy people. His agenda is to make us people of righteousness. And you get to engage in that. And do you know who often have the greatest faith for that? The poor. Because God has chosen, listen to this, God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith. And you, you can't sort of, sort of magically switch that around and just kind of say, well, you know, I'm wealthy, but I can be rich in faith too. I'm wealthy because somehow that must be about the poor in spirit. No, it's about the poor. If you're wealthy and you want to become rich in faith, God has an answer for that what he said to the rich young ruler go and sell all your possessions give them to the poor and then come and follow me if you're wealthy I, this is, I know this is crazy I don't know how much John preaches all this to you I'm sure he does a lot but God wants to get you in the habit of constantly giving away what you've got and, the, and even if it's a little you give away what you got and you know what God's going to do he's going to put more in your hands and then when you get more in your hands, you know what he wants you to do? He wants you to give that away. And what God intends to happen is, I want the riches and resources of this world to just flow through you. And I'll take care of you, I'll make sure your needs are met, but fundamentally, this is how God's vision and view of wealth for us in the kingdom works, is you receive and you give, and you receive more and you give more, and you receive more and you give more, and when you give away, you are depending on God to replace it and give you more. Now let me ask you, if God Almighty himself told you, give it away and I will replace it, then what do you think is going to happen when you faithfully give what you have to share with those in need? I'll tell you, God is going to supply your need again and increase it. But he doesn't want you to stop up the pipeline. <laughs> he doesn't want you to say, oh, 
oh, you've given me all this. Now I get to hang on to all of this. No, 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 no. You can let it go. And you can let it go because this is not your final inheritance anyway. Your final inheritance is coming. You, you, you get to be the light of the world. You get to be the salt of the earth. You get to be the light of South Florida. You get to be the light of this community. You get to be the salt of this community. You get to show them a way to live that they don't even know what that looks like anymore. And you get to demonstrate it as the people of God. Okay, we are, sorry, get a little long-winded here. But so want to encourage you. Last thing from these verses. So the Lord says, do this and I'll take care of you. He says, the kingdom is yours. He also says, look, I want you to be alert and aware and busy about these things. I want you to be doing the work I've asked you to do so that when I come back, that's what I find you doing. I want you to persevere. How many of you know that the hardest thing in life is perseverance? <laughs> life can be wearying, can it? It can be wearying just to get up some mornings. It can be wearying to go through another day and say, oh my gosh, I'm in the middle of this hard thing and I don't know how it's going to, Lord, am I going to have the strength to do this? Have I've been at the place in my life, in my Christian life with God, where there have been times that I have said, God, I quit. Not that I don't love you or believe you, but I quit. Is there anybody out there besides me who have said I quit? Anybody said I quit? Okay, most of you are putting your hands up. Where are you? Well, you're here. Did you quit? No. Did you think you were going to quit? Yes. Did you feel like you were going to quit? Yes. Did you quit? No, you didn't quit. You know why you didn't quit? You didn't quit because perseverance is a gift from Jesus. Perseverance is a perk of the power of the Holy Spirit in you. There's something more inside of you than just your will, your commitment, your desire to do these things. God Almighty is inside of you. The Holy Spirit's inside of you. He is going to give you perseverance as a gift. And when you say, God, I am done, I cannot do this. God says, my son, my daughter, I've got you, and I'm not going to let you go. And I'm going to give you the endurance that you need. And here's what that endurance produces. Paul tells us, James tells us, that our perseverance and endurance produces character. All of a sudden we find out we are more committed than we thought we were. There's a change in us inside of our character that deepens and grows, and, and that character produces hope because we thought we were going to fail, but here we are, in fact, still loving and living and wanting God and wanting to serve Him. And he says that all produces a great hope of the glory of God. And he says in Romans 5, and James says the same thing, that that hope's never going to disappoint us. And you know why? Because the love of God is poured out on us in Jesus Christ. God is always going to love you. He's always going to provide for you. He's always going to lead you. And the more you put it in the context of pursuing his kingdom, the more you are going to have a stability and a strength about your life that goes way beyond what your physical circumstances are, 
way beyond the needs that you are aware of that need to be addressed, way beyond the lies of Satan that would make you despair and make you feel hopeless because you know you are the sons and daughters of God. And the Lord will build his kingdom and you're a part of it. Blessed to be with you, people of God. May the Holy Spirit strengthen you in these things. I'll ask the worship team to go ahead and come on up. You know, it's amazing. We, we often think that these things are for some special group of mature Christians who have it all together. And the reality, this is for every person. God has given the kingdom and every person who knows Jesus Christ to be part of the kingdom. You know, I'm so encouraged. One of the things that Pastor Barry says is, um, what's the church budget in St. Louis right now per year? Okay, so $5 million per year. But what, what Barry says is they start the year every year broke, and they end the, the year every year broke. And somehow God passes $5 million to do ministries that give things away and that serve the community, but they never quite have it long in their hand because they're always giving it away. Now, whether you're a church with a $5 million budget or some of our friends even that live in, in Arts Park and do not have a place to live, what happens when they have two sandwiches? It always amazes me. They don't keep one sandwich for tomorrow when they're hungry. They give that second sandwich away to someone else who is hungry right there in the moment. And I think for you to know, this starts right now with you. Do you have two shirts? Do you have the ability to take someone out to lunch who's hungry? Do you have, a, do you have the emotional capacity to be with someone who's mourning? What does God put in your hand right now? This is for poor and powerless people. It's not for us who have it all together. It's for people who need Jesus Christ and trust Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will empower us. Amen? If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we'd love to talk to you about that. There's a couple different ways you can respond. If you want to meet with me in the back, I'd love to talk with you for a moment or pray. Pastor Barry, would you mind going with me in the back and just praying for anyone that needs it? If you want to go into the, into the back there too, you can write a prayer on the wall. And if you want to just stand and sing your heart out to the Lord, you can. But let's stand right now.